Welcome back to Recorded Conversations. I'm your host, Danielle Kingstrom, and you're now joining the podcast that is dedicated to compassionately considering all perspectives while engaging in authentic and connected conversations. I hope you enjoy today's show. One thing that I wanted to try and do that would make this podcast different than all the other podcasts out there was to invite the listeners as guests on the show. Now, I'm not saying that I know for certain my next guest is a listener, although I'm hoping he will be after we had our conversation today, but I want to make sure that I'm including people that I'm already connected with. I know there are so many great names out there that many people know about. But I truly enjoy being surprised by the wisdom that your normal everyday people can offer to share. And so that's what I'm aiming towards with this podcast. So as a reminder, again, if you'd be interested in joining me for a recorded conversation, if you think there is a topic that we could go head to head with, compassionately, of course. If you think there's a topic that we totally disagree about, but maybe you think you can change my mind, even if you just want to have your 15 minutes on the microphone, I encourage you to track me down, reach out to me, and let me know you're interested. This next guest is someone that I've been connected to via social media, and I had posed the question on one of my social media pages, What would you be interested in hearing people converse about? One of the suggestions really stuck out to me and kind of grabbed me, and I knew I had to have that be my next episode. My friend Perry Willis is joining me on this episode, and we will discuss UFOs, and we will discuss a little bit about the Libertarian Party, and we will tackle topics such as the backfire effect and skepticism and how we can learn how to be less reactive and more reflective. Perry really surprised me with all of the different areas and all of the different rabbit holes we were able to travel down. And I really enjoyed this discussion. And I hope you do as well. Perry Willis has worked as a professional libertarian for nearly 40 years. He was twice the national director of the Libertarian National Committee. He worked on five Libertarian Party presidential campaigns and managed two of them, including the Harry Brown campaign in 2000. He is the co-founder of Downsize DC and the Zero Aggression Project. He co-created the Read the Bills Act and One Subject at a Time Act, both of which have been introduced into Congress. He publishes a blog, whatthefutureneeds.com, and he is currently writing a book, How to Think About UFOs, My Journey from Skeptic to Believer. Listeners, please let my next guest take you from skeptic to believer. You had brought up UFOs. And I love, I love just talking about um, extraterrestrial life. And so that really intrigued me. And so I'm really glad that you decided to take the time to have this conversation with me. So what, what stemmed your interest in UFOs? Well, I spent most of my adult life being a skeptical debunker of UFOs and 
my views on it began to change when the Phoenix Lights event happened in 1997, which was lights seen over the city of Phoenix and reported nationally on the news. Yeah. Uh, but then I quickly kind of forgot about it because the Air Force came out with a explanation that it was just flares. Mm-hmm. Uh, so several years passed, and then I watched a documentary that had uh, eyewitness interviews of people who had actually seen a vehicle. It wasn't just lights, disembodied in lights in the sky, but it was this massive vehicle. And I watched those interviews, and I just kind of thought instantly, there is really no other explanation for this yeah. other than E.T. Yeah. And from that point on, I just started studying the question more deeply. And the more I studied it, the more important I thought the subject was. And so how did you reconcile that with your skeptical outlook? Um, I noticed that in uh, a piece of the writing that you shared with me, you bring up the backfire effect. I also noticed you brought that up on Facebook, too. And to be honest, I had never heard of such an effect before. So I spent... I think a good four hours researching the backfire effect because of your post. And then <laughs> you had addressed it again in that writing that you had sent to me. And I was like, wow, you know, it was just something I never considered it. You know, the idea that when your beliefs are challenged with facts that you're, you're going to alter your opinion suddenly and incorporate this new information is just a misconception because what really happens is we kind of dig our heels back into our, our own deep convictions when we're challenged with new information. And I really appreciate that, that you introduced the backfire effect in your thesis, if you will, on, on your skepticism leading to belief in UFOs. And I just thought that was really brilliant to kind of outlay that kind of psychological concept to prepare people It's such an important insight into the human mind that we could probably have a conversation, whole conversation, just about that. Yes, and I was hoping we could have a little mini one on that because I think, yeah, it's definitely an intriguing um, concept. And I don't think many people are familiar with it. Well, we can do that now or we can do that later, whichever you prefer. Would you like to talk to me about how I overcame the the backfire effect in the case of UFOs or where you want to go here? Yes, I do want to know how you how that helped you overcome it. It helped me to have a long history of being wrong in my life. Mm-hmm. I had been wrong about so many things in the past and had changed my mind about so many things that I, I was I've, I've kind of trained myself to hold my views provisionally, which is a key component of the critical thinking that skeptics uh, pretend to espouse. Yeah. That you're supposed to hold your opinions lightly and you're supposed to be able to change your opinions easily when evidence warrants it. Mm-hmm. So I don't think that I have left skepticism. I don't think that I have abandoned critical thinking. I think that I have actually used critical thinking to change my mind about UFOs because the evidence warranted that I change my mind. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, I I have a very high regard for critical thinking too. Over the last few years, I've I kind of forced myself to follow this this suppressed passion I had for philosophy itself and just every every genre and school of thought that I could just to better understand what I was misunderstanding. And so yeah, I really appreciate 
I, I know I follow a lot of things that um, you kind of write about and post about on social media. And I'm just always kind of, sometimes I, t- I have to sit back and go, okay, well, I know he's a very reasonable thinker. And so when you share <laughs> ideas that I'm uncomfortable with, I have to sit back too. And I have to, there was something that you had written that I just love that I think is so important. And that helps me with even um, understanding you is that we need to become less reactive and more reflective. And I thought that is that's such a crucial part to connected conversations too. And to just trying to understand new things, if we're so emotional to things, that's that's going to make us, we're going to lean more towards our egoic selves versus So we should probably pause selves. here to tell your audience what the backfire effect actually is. It, yes. The backfire effect essentially observes that we humans respond to differences of opinion as if they were physical attacks. Yeah. So what, what happens in the brain is the, the brain structure that is responsible for the fight or flight response, which is called the amygdala, uh, sends signals uh, to your adrenal glands to uh, secrete adrenaline because the brain thinks you're being attacked. Somebody has disagreed with one of your opinions. And so you have this surge of adrenaline and it's a well-known thing that we don't, that thinking degrades tremendously in the presence of adrenaline. So basically it's, it's just if we had a, a, a switch in our brains to turn our brains off when we're confronted with information that disagrees yeah. with our old beliefs. So how did we get such defective brains? The way we got these defective brains is that we, we spent the first 100,000 years of our time on planet Earth as hunter-gatherers. We spent then 6,000 years as farmers, and we've only spent 100 years dealing with um, life problems that are primarily, primarily intellectual rather than physical. So we had lots of need for adrenaline in the past because the, the, the threats that we dealt with were physical threats. We needed adrenaline. But now we're dealing with things that are intellectual, and we don't need adrenaline. Adrenaline is the last thing we need. And so we're kind of in a mess here because we have brains that are not suited to the environment we live in. Yeah, when you put it like that, I um, I never really thought about that that's what's happening when when I'm becoming defensive to something that's being at, that that's confronting me. I never really put the pieces together that that was my adrenaline and that was that natural hunter gatherer biological programming that we just haven't evolved from. Yes. So I really appreciate how you kind of point that out too. So the question is, can we evolve from it? And, you know, evolution implies uh, something that happens over a period of generations. I don't even think, I don't think we need to wait generations because we also know that the brain is plastic. It rewires itself. The more you practice doing something, the more mm-hmm. the, neurons and the synapses change and so we can rewire our brains just by being conscious that the backfire effect exists and constantly being on guard against ourselves constantly ask ourselves does this situation need adrenaline and over time i think we will begin to have less and less vulnerability to the backfire effect if we do this and we'll be able to change our minds much more easily I hope. And so that's that's reminding ourselves that we're not in danger and 
reminding ourselves that we don't need to worry about what kind of skin we have in this game because we just need to create space for reflection. Yeah, because one of two things is going to happen. Either you, uh, you, you reconfirm your previous beliefs, in which case that's fine, you're, you're good, or you discover that there's a better idea, in which case your life is improved. So there's no actual yeah. danger at all. There's only opportunity. That's a very good point. That's a very good point. Um, you um, you brought you had asked a question, and and it was a question that I've I've asked myself, and it's a question that I've I've um, had conversations about, like with my with my teenagers just recently this week, and that was, um, and and I'm jumping ahead too. I'm, I'm assuming everyone's going to be on the same page with this, but you said something about aliens and religion. And maybe we'll have to build back up to that, but that's something that I want to speak to because, see, and the whole idea with UFOs forces us to consider so much that we've been told to just take as sci-fi, fantasy, not real, could never happen. And so... I think slowly we've seen a progression of more and more people being accepting of the idea. I, I kind of conducted a non-scientific poll on my social media just to kind of drum the beat and get people talking about this conversation. And I was very surprised with the amount of people that were willing to say, yes, I do believe. Um, but then once you believe, you do have to confront those questions. Do they believe the way that I believe? And how do they believe? And so... What made you think about even asking that question? Well, one of there's a lot of reasons why I thought, I thought about that particular question of you know what religion, if any, do the ETs have? One of the reasons I, I think about it is yeah. I wonder why, uh, and this gets into a whole big subject of its own. I I think our our government knows a lot about this subject. And so the question is, why are they keeping it secret? Um, one of the reasons it's put forward for them keeping it secret is that it might upset a lot of religious sensibilities. Um, oh. I, so yeah, so if, if the aliens come and say, well, we're here, and you know we've been around for a million years longer than you, and we didn't have an E.T. Jesus die on uh, the cross or an E.T. Muhammad, or an ET, a Shiva, uh, mm -hmm. that might be very stressful for a lot of people to hear that. Part of the, the panic. Other, <laughs> yeah, it might cause some panic. On the other hand, I I have great yeah. confidence in people's ability to uh, interpret their religious beliefs in such a to, to accommodate almost any accommodate almost anything. Um, I think what I think I think people would actually deal with it quite easily. They would simply say, look. Uh, the Jesus approach to this is God's plan for Earth. It's not God's plan for, you know, Tau Ceti. Um, so I don't think people would panic. I do think hmm. uh, they would be able to handle it. Um, it doesn't mean that there wouldn't be a lot of craziness that would result. Uh, I, you know, a, a lot of people would start, you know, the ET conspiracy theories would start right away. What are the ETs planning for us? What are their real motivations? So there, there are, there is stuff yeah. that would happen that would be stressful, but I don't think that people would fail to accommodate their religion to it. I just think it would create some interesting 
conversations. Definitely. Yeah, that's kind of where my mind wandered and it was like, okay, so what does that mean for the whole we are made in God's image and likeness? If there are other ETs out there that do not look like us, what does that mean? And does that mean that there are different gods for different universes? Does that mean that though we're made in God's image and likeness, we are also to assume they are made in God's image and likeness? Or are we a different set of beings? I mean, the rabbit the rabbit holes I was going down just after watching the movie Unacknowledged too, I was <laughs> I'm like, this would drive pe- some people crazy just having these kind of mind explorations of considering different theological alternatives that <laughs> yeah could make That's people part of why I started out in, in the book that I'm writing about is talking about the backfire effect yeah because we are going to have to start trying to rewire our brains to be able to deal with these kinds of things a little more easily we need to do it anyway even if there weren't any ETs we would need to do it for because we have so much political strife in our world exactly um, so it's it's this this remodeling of the human mind is, is a project that we need to undertake for its own merits but it would also have benefit for, for things like the ET question. It would make us more nimble in reacting to the new worlds that would result from learning that we are being visited by ETs. Yeah. And so what is your position on, you, you, had, you had said earlier that you do believe the government has a lot of secrets regarding that. And so what, what secrets do you think we should know about that we don't know about? And I know that seems like, we don't even have that information exactly, but I think you probably have some information from your research. Yeah, my study has led me to believe that, in fact, they do have multiple crashed vehicles. Mm-hmm. Um, some of those vehicles are intact and work. Um, so this has led them to understand some of the physical principles that may be involved in how these craft function. Um, it's a complicated story. Uh, I, I, my own current feeling is that they have not been able to reverse engineer the craft, but that they have been able to figure out some of the tricks that the aliens use just by reasoning from first principles. So I now think that some of the uh, UFOs we see in the sky are actually human vehicles. So it's a okay. mixture that we're seeing in the skies, human vehicles and ET vehicles. And, and wow. the way you can tell the difference is the ET vehicles are seamless and the human vehicles have struts and rivets and, and are kind of just not quite as beautifully designed. So you'd need to be up close to them to be, up, to be able to discern which is which true is and which. which. Yeah. So what this means, if, if my speculation here is correct, is that our rulers have powerful technology that could alter the world. It could alter the lives of every single person on this planet, except they're keeping it hidden. And so then that raises the question of why they're keeping it hidden. Well, money, right? Well, okay. Um, how do how do they make money by keeping it hidden? Well, uh, there is an there is an answer to that. So you're right to raise the question. Some people argue that uh, if the energy technology that's involved behind these vehicles was released, it would bring an end to big oil and uh, 
and so that that some people think that that's why they're keeping it secret because mm -hmm. it threatens too many vested interests and that's definitely a possible answer um i tend to think though that that they that probably wouldn't be enough for them to keep it secret i i, I kind of think there's another reason uh, there, there's lots of reasons. This, the religious thing is, is, is one of the reasons, but the, those are all tiny things. Mm -hmm. To me, I think the biggest thing is they worry about what would happen if bad people got this technology. Oh. So they're protecting us from ourselves? Yes. Yes. Hmm. Which is very much their mindset. You know, they think that they can handle it, but the rest of us can't. Yeah. Uh, they're very, you know, it's a very... Uh, being a ruler is a very paternalistic mindset. And so I suspect that that is why they're keeping it secret. And all these other reasons apply too, but that's the main reason. Now, there is a very, very paranoid uh, theory about why they keep it secret. Ooh, I like uh, paranoia. <laughs> <laughs> Some people think that the next false flag event uh, is going to be an attack by aliens on planet Earth. And, and that this and will scare all of us so much that we will bow down to the military-industrial complex forever and ever and ever. And they can use that to create one world government and so forth and so on. Interesting. Yeah, I, I, re I remember hearing something about that, too, and I thought that would just be something, that, that they would create such a panic that we would be so dependent on this military machine to protect us that we'd believe everything. I think, you know, uh, the government is not a monolith. So there are competing views inside the government, always. And I would be very surprised if there weren't some people in the government that think exactly this way. Yeah. But I think it's also got to be the case that there are other people in the government who don't think that way. Because think about it. All the, everybody that works for the government has mothers and fathers, wives and husbands, daughters and sons, people they love and care about. Mm -hmm. They go home to at night. And so essentially they're just like the rest of us. Um, are they all really uh, looking to participate in a system of world dominance? Well, I don't think so, but there is a counter argument that can be made to my position, and that is the, the secret keepers only let other people in on the secret who are as sociopathic as they are. So like an Illuminati of sorts? Yeah, yeah. Um, not the not the Illuminati, not uh, the the Masons or any any of those standard uh, conspiracies. But clearly, there are people who have higher security clearances in the government than other people, and that gives them power that other people don't have. And did we, to your based on your research, did we have any presidents that were involved in this, or are the presidents involved in this? Okay, so this gets into a, uh, a controversial uh, subject, which is something called the Majestic 12 documents. At, at some point in the 1970s, some documents were leaked to UFO researchers. And the, there were two documents at first. And one of them was a letter signed by Harry S. Truman, which created a panel of 12 people 
all of them very famous names in the government, scientists and generals and things of that nature, who would operate at the highest security level. It was above even top secret. It was, and, the, and the, this panel of people was called the Majestic 12. Uh, the other document that was leaked was a briefing document of President Eisenhower. So on the first day that he was in office, supposedly the first thing that Eisenhower was briefed about was UFOs. Hmm. And this briefing document is an is a outline of what he was told. So then there is the question of, are these documents legitimate? Stanton Friedman, uh, to, to my mind, the greatest of all the UFO researchers, I think has proved compellingly that these documents are legitimate. Um, it, 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 we could have a whole conversation just about all the reasons why they are, 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 are legitimate, but one is that he was able to confirm that uh, Eisenhower was in the exact place where he would have received this briefing according to the document on at the time he was supposed to have received it. And it, it goes on and on from there. There's just lots of reasons to believe these documents are legitimate. So supposedly, this high-level uh, secret panel still exists to this day and is controlling all of this. And the cast of characters has changed over the years, and most of the people, all the people that were the original part of it, have died. Um, it, it's also very strange that that uh, most presidents are not part of this group. Really? They're, con they're considered temporary employees, and they're not allowed to know this stuff. So when Bill Clinton comes in and says, I want to know about UFO UFOs, they won't tell him. And so Trump's Space Force rally has nothing to do with him being read into some elite secret group regarding UFOs? It might have something to do with it. He might have been read into it, or he might have just been told this is we want, what we want to do, and he decided to go along with it. I'd be kind of surprised if they read him into this very deeply because he's kind of erratic. Yeah. Um, but I can tell just by you, you using the term read in that you did watch the documentary Unacknowledged. Yes. Because it's a, <laughs> a, a big part of that, that story. Well, yeah, and it really intrigued me, um, the discussion on JFK and Robert Kennedy and Marilyn Monroe. And, you know, I'm a skeptic, too, in many instances. And and you know, I've been following JFK since I was nine. And I've been interested in Marilyn Monroe about the same time. And, I mean, I know it's corny, but I've been – every documentary that's – that's been produced about them I'm like I'm watching it so when they started talking about this story that they, those the Kennedys knew about this program and that potentially had exposed and, and 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 shown a bit too much to Marilyn Monroe and this this conspiracy theory that she was speaking to a journalist and was willing to expose secrets because she was trying to seek retribution because the relationship ended, but she maybe didn't know that the relationship had ended because the Kennedys had been found out because they were showing her stuff that they shouldn't have. And there's that whole rabbit hole, but it really intrigued me because I thought, okay, so Kennedy knew so much and potentially risked so much that maybe 
someone else off him for other reasons. And so what do you think of that conspiracy? I am open to it being true, but um, I've, I've studied, I, st I used to be a believer that Kennedy was killed by a conspiracy, and I spent a lot of time studying it. I, I read a lot of the conspiracy books, and I've read on the other side, and I've come to the conclusion that it's very unlikely that he was killed by a conspiracy. Um, I think he, I think he was killed by Oswald acting alone. And in fact, I think it is one of the most well uh, attested by the evidence murder cases probably ever. Hmm. Um, but that, so that's one of the areas where I would disagree with that unacknowledged film. And we could, we could have a, a talk about the JFK assassination sometime if you want. Yeah, um, that would be fine. But it is interesting. Um, the fact that they found this document um, that purported to 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 talk about uh, killing Kennedy for this reason to protect the UFO secret. Yeah. Now, one of the things that complicates this whole subject is there's no doubt at all that military intelligence and the CIA both engage in what are called counterintelligence operations to sow confusion on this subject. Mm -hmm. So it becomes very hard to tell what's real and what isn't. And how did they do that? Well, um, one of the ways they, they do it is they uh, release stuff that makes the subject seem crazy. So people will laugh at it and sneer at it and, and, um, and not want to discuss it. Like your typical redneck living in a trailer park who's selling you a fool. That, that could be one of them, uh, an example of it. Uh, one, another example might be, well, let me be specific. There's a guy named Richard Doty, uh, and there's a great documentary about him called Mirage Men. Uh, he infiltrated the UFO movement. He worked for, uh, for military intelligence, and he talks about all the things that, were, that are done to... Uh, to, to make the UFO subject look ridiculous. Um, they buy off journalists, they pay journalists to do stories that sneer at the subject, and they create false abductions. So some of the abduction stories may actually be things that were perpetrated by intelligence operatives. <laughs> so you, then you've got to ask yourself, if they're doing this, that must mean the subject is important. Otherwise, they wouldn't yeah. be bothering. Yeah. That's definitely true. And so then do you some, and so one of the things that was pointed out in this movie that made me go, oh, well, oh, oh, I didn't connect those dots was the, the money in the military that year after year is unaccounted for. It just yes. disappeared trillions yes. of dollars we can't explain away and so it was like little moments in there I was like oh yeah okay that explains so much and I think that I think it's kind of interesting that this organization does this without you know any accountability for it but then allows the military to basically become the bad guy and the fallout well, that so, tells you that, that, that if this Majestic 12 and, uh, organization does exist, it's mostly composed of military people, probably. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, 
you were you're you were very perceptive to pick up on the missing money angle and seeing how important it was because you know i think the government is extremely incompetent but they mm. are they so incompetent that they could actually misplace three trillion dollars yeah exactly. i'm not even sure i think i think they're that incompetent but if instead it's gone into black budget programs that makes a lot more sense Yes. So what are those black budget programs doing? They're they're trying to duplicate ET technology for military purposes. Yeah, and that was yeah that was a eye opening uh, set of statements and, and and data that they had shown in that movie that I went oh gall now I get it all suddenly. But the thing it is, also, is good. I was just going to say, you know, but then it, it brings me back to my idea of, okay, well, taxation without representation, why are we not aware that this is going on then? If so many people are willing to speak about it, if so many people are willing to leak things, that means that there's a necessity for the general public to know, then we have a right to know where our trillions of tax dollars are going. So this explains the counterintelligence operations. If you don't want, if you want people to not to believe uh, in ET visitation, then you need because if they believe in it, they'll want answers, and if they want answers, they might start to connect dots, like maybe our three trillion dollars is involved in this somehow, or missing three trillion. Mm -hmm. What you'll do is you'll engage in counterintelligence activities designed to um, make the UFO subject look like something only uh, lunatics care about. Yeah. And so that explains why they buy off, why they pay money to journalists to write smear stories about the subject. It explains why they would do things like fake abductions and so forth to discredit so that the, the public won't take a closer look at it. And I'm quite sure that in doing this, they believe it's entirely justified because they think they're, they're, what they're doing is to defend us and therefore anything is justified. Yeah. And we, we know that they've done things like this in the past. Uh, during World War II, uh, something called Operation Shamrock, the, the military spied on the American people, and the President of the United States did not know they were doing it. And then we know about something called Operation Mockingbird, where the CIA gave money to journalists to, to foment, foment hysteria about communism. So it's not a secret that they've done these kinds of things in the past. And if they've done them in the past, they could certainly be doing them now. And then we have the testimony of somebody like Richard Doty from the inside who said, yep, they still do it, and I was one of the people who did it. Yeah. Okay, and so let's get back to why you want to work on this book that you're you're working on and what what makes you believe that we need to be aware of this and that it won't create a panic and that we will be able to accept this as a fact and as a part of our life? What are you hoping to bring to the general public that will kind of help quell fears? Well, uh, the aliens, uh, the ETs, I prefer to call them, the ETs have powerful technology, so powerful that if they meant us harm, and they've been here for at least 70 years, uh, they, they, would, they would have done it already. I agree with that. 
what they've done instead is is very interesting. Uh, uh, for the most part, they don't interact with us, but some, when they do interact with us, it tends to be doing things like the following: they they turn off our mis our nuclear missile silos. Mm -hmm. This has happened hundreds of times. They interdict our nuclear missile tests to show us that 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 they can do that. Uh, they seem to be saying to us, we will not let you use your weapons to hurt us or anybody else. Yeah. It, it, it seems to be a sign of benevolence. So the question then becomes, if they're benevolent, why aren't they talking to us? Yeah, that's a good question. Well, I, I think they don't talk to us because we're violent primitives. Yeah. Yeah. And and they're they're kind of watching over us, watching out for us, quarantining us, uh, in the hope that we will advance and improve. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's kind of where I lean too. I was really just with this this whole last week or so, just really thinking about it. I thought that too. Like they're waiting for us, for us to figure our crap out, and they're just they're the guardians of the galaxy babysitting us looking down at us going when they're ready to be grown-ups we'll make contact but we're not demonstrating that i mean as we effectively progress and make the world better through these initiatives then we turn around and equally create nothing but a, a, a chaotic potentiality to to demolish all of the progress we've made and so that's kind of the vision i have they're just watching us maybe shaking their heads at us like someday you'll figure this out and we're so there's, just not there yet. There's precedent for this. It's not like this is a, a, a strange idea. In anthropology, they constantly debate how much should we interfere with the primitive societies that we want to study. Mm. So they have there's a debate about should we interfere or not interfere. And from Star Trek, the prime directive, we, we have this idea in our fiction that we're not supposed to go and interfere with primitive cultures that we find out in the out in the universe. Uh, Arthur C. Clarke in the science fiction novel Childhood's End, uh, the aliens show up in the book and they park these giant craft over every city in the world and then they do nothing for 50 years. The, the, these giant ships just hover over every city in, on the world for 50 years. And then after the 50 years are, out, are over, they come out and talk to us for the first time. And in the novel, the idea for why they do that is they need several generations to, to, to live and die with the craft being in the air and so that everybody becomes used to it. Hmm. And then it's possible for them to come out and talk to us. So we, we have these ideas in our own science and literature. So it's not that strange to think that civilizations that might be a million or more years older than us and had a lot of experience with this kind of thing might have similar ideas. Ideas and, and reasons for believing it's the way to, to proceed. Fascinating. So that just proves that whole theory. There's no no such thing as an original thought. Here I am thinking that was my own thought. <laughs> <laughs> well, just kidding. Well, then it, it um, kind of it, it kind of explains something like the Phoenix Lights, right? You have this giant craft that flew over the entire state of Arizona very very slowly. Why were they doing that? Mm. Well, they were just saying, we're here. 
let's see how you react to us being here. And it, one of the ways that we reacted is to pretend it didn't happen. Uh. Imagine how they look at that. How primitive is that? We, we, thousands of people saw this with their own eyes, and we pretend it didn't happen. We, we do that a lot, though, in so many other areas of our life, so don't we? We just pretend it didn't happen. If I well, pretend it, it didn't happen, it won't bother me. <laughs> it, it gets back to the backfire effect. Anything yeah. that conflicts with our existing mental structures, we backfire against. Yeah. And it's part of our how primitive we are. And it's part of what we have to overcome. Yeah. Part of my little journey through handling my self-awareness, um, adding this backfire effect made me so much more aware of just how primitive I had been acting and responding. And I, 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 I just thought I, I want to write just to the backfire effect because it, it just explained so much for me, all this digging around that I did. And I was like, God, we have, we walk around with these expected narrative scripts. And when somebody introduces a new act to our script, we just become, um, uncivilized and completely completely stubborn and it all it does is it destroys connection and it it it, it shields us from from possibly growing and i and i can't help but wonder why we cling so much to not changing when we know that we demand change all the time we certainly want other people to change. <laughs> yes, we do. It's very, it's you know, it's a hundred, it's a, it's a, it's a habit that has been carved into the very structure of our mind over the period of a hundred thousand years of responding with adrenaline to stuff. Um, it, it's interesting to, in, in trying to rewire my own brain. I go through the day trying to notice all the times I have adrenaline surges. And it's mm. not just about people disagreeing with me that causes adrenaline surges. It's if I drop my toothbrush, mm -hmm. I'll have an adrenaline surge of irritation. Well, mm -hmm. is that adrenaline going to help me pick up my toothbrush? No, it's not. It's just a, it's just a waste. And there are so many things that happen during the day, tiny little things that cause us to have adrenaline surges that are completely pointless. Yes, I agree. And you know, um, and just adding this conversation to what I, I was, have been working on and studying, I do this book study with three other people, and we're reading this book called Heart and Mind, and it's a four-gospel journey through transformation. And we're working, on, we're working through the Gospel of John right now, and he shows you these, this, this author, Alexander Shea. He, he delivers the Gospels to you in a lens that I was just not accustomed to. And anyway... Part of um, this third path of the journey is learning how to embrace joy. And one of the things that he said that I read, and I just reread it last night, and it actually triggered this idea about adrenaline, was that we're supposed to see everything as a gift. And for a minute, I, of course, struggled with that because I'm like, everything is a gift. Every time my new puppy pees on my carpet, that's a gift. <laughs> and I'm supposed to see that my oven is going out as a gift. And I even asked one of my friends in the in the book study with me, and I'm like, is that what he meant? Like, my dog peeing everywhere is a gift. 
And he didn't know how to answer it right away. And I just thought, you know, after after digging through this backfire effect and considering the adrenaline, I was like, maybe that's how I counterbalance it. I look at it like, this is a gift. It doesn't need to cause you upset. And so for me, I'm going to intentionally use both of those ideas together to try and keep my adrenaline levels lower. The, the puppy is love, and the yes. P is the price you have to pay for that love. Exactly. And, and, and adrenaline is not going to help make the P go away. Exactly. So, so this is part of why I think the UFO issue is so important, because I think in order to join the wider universe, we need to become less primitive, which mm -hmm. means we need to tame ourselves and rewire our brains. And once we do that, we will gain access to pow to powers that we can barely dream of right now. Yes, I love that. And experiences that we can barely dream of. So I, I think that's why I think it's the most important issue in the world. I think it is also important in terms of getting control of our own government. Mm. So it, it's just all to me ties together. And so let's, I want to hear you speak to that. You're, you're, um, you're a, you're a libertarian, libertarian. Right. And you are deeply involved with the Libertarian Party. And so how do you think, so line that up for me, us being able to accept UFOs can also help us get our government under control. All right. The, the key Libertarian idea is the non-aggression principle. Yes. Another way to look at the non-aggression principle is getting the adrenaline out of life. We're no longer constantly fighting with each other. It's not always fight and flight all the time. We are at peace with each other. So if, if we can train people psychologically to rewire their brains to become um, less, to, to backfire less, they will become less aggress aggressive. If they become less aggressive, they will be more attracted to the zero aggression principle. If they become more attracted to the zero aggression principle, they will use try to use the government less often to impose their personal preferences on other people. And if they do that, the government will change. Hmm. Um, if the government changes and they let the ET secrets out, then we start having a relationship with the ETs and we start learning new things. So to me, it's a continuum that, that goes from the backfire effect all the way through uh, non-aggression, partisan politics, straight to relationship with the ETs. The Libertarian Party, right now in my view, I'm seeing it in a way I never considered seeing it before. And that is that it's the party of enlightenment. What you just said means that we all need to become enlightened creatures. We need to learn how to make sure that we have accessible ports for connections because ultimately what I'm getting is a connection to rewiring our brain can lead to better connections to the people we interact with in our community, can lead to better connections with our government, to expand our connections with extraterrestrial life. Exactly. And libertarians actually need to be the first people to learn this rewiring trick 
because we fight with ourselves entirely too much. We, <laughs> we talk about non-aggression, and non-aggression mm -hmm. primarily has to do with physical violence, but certainly yes. uh, mental aggression precedes physical aggression. And if we want to have other people adopt uh, a non-adrenaline type lifestyle, then we need to first model that ourselves, and we're not very right. good at it yet. Right. Nonviolent uh, communication, I think, is necessary. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. We're no, libertarians have no problems being aggressive with their words. <laughs> no, they don't. They don't. And that has been as true of me as anybody else. Yes, yes. When I was when I was aligning myself with the Libertarian Party, I and I and most of my views still are in that in that in that genre. But I noticed that about myself. I'm like, we sit here and we're like, violation of nap, violation of nap. I'm violating nap right now. I'm being aggressive and hostile with my words. <laughs> Danielle, step back. <laughs> yeah, even if you're not violating the nap by doing that, you're certainly not being conducive to the type of thinking that will lead to non-aggression. Yeah, it's more so somehow it's being more reactive versus reflective. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So I, you know, you say I'm involved with the Libertarian Party. I would put it more that I used to be involved with the Libertarian Party. I'm very supportive of it. But I think that our primary goal now needs to be not so much uh, political persuasion, but personal transformation. I love the, that. This all needs to be about our own psychology. And as, as more and more people, uh, hopefully starting with libertarians first, transform their psychology, then politics begins to become more important because we have our thoughts and our actions aligned. And, and our, I don't know quite how to conclude that thought, but I think it's probably evident. I, no, I'm, I'm picking up what you're putting down. I love that. I, I agree with you, and I've noticed that about myself. I, I, like, abhor politics, but I'm, like, addicted to politics. But I won't align myself with a political party. I won't vote. Um, and sometimes I'm a little condescending about those who are all like, oh, we must vote, it's our power and our right. But um, I'm finding that more and more as I'm going through whatever metamorphosis that is taking me on this roller coaster is that I feel like it was almost a betrayal to myself to say I was a Democrat, I was a Republican, I'm a Libertarian, because I felt like I didn't know myself enough and I, I fought myself too much. And that's because I just was kind of like, I know I have to transition into some kind of a new phase before I can say I fully support this or this is my resting principle. Because until you know yourself, you, you really don't know what you want. And I think so many people are just identifying with a party because they want to know themselves. And they think if I have this label, that means that I know who I am now. And then I have to fight to the death to protect that label that I've put over myself without caring to really consider if I know myself. I agree all with all of that. Um, and I would add, you know, I'm an, I'm an atheist, but I think that Christians have a just a huge role to play in this psychological uh, transformation that I think needs to happen. But in order to play that role, they need to actually start paying attention to the words of Jesus instead of um, all of their own personal pet peeves. Uh, mm -hmm. I read the New Testament, and what I see is non-aggression, uh, forgiveness, tolerance, patience, all of these things that seem to be uh, uh, lined up with the idea of getting the adrenaline out of your life, uh, 
at least out of your life in a places where it's not appropriate. And so it's not just libertarians that, you know, libertarians need to learn to do this, but, but Christians can, can do this and have a huge impact just by modeling Jesus's words. I agree. Yeah. I, and I, I see that I, as an atheist. Yeah. And I'm seeing, I'm seeing such a rift and I'm sure you are as well in the, in the Christian community right now. I mean, we have, you know, Southern what is it southern baptist convention and the united methodist church and you see all this this pushing and pulling and ballooning and imploding within all the denominations and it's like everybody's becoming so polarized that we're veering away from unity and harmony and it's more or less just it's it's thwarting the possibility for the transformation so i agree with you i think all of these these collectives that 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 claim to stand for such righteousness need to really get back on track and realizing that what they're practicing is self-righteousness and not righteousness. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's certainly not forgiveness and tolerance and patience and going the extra mile and, and paying attention to the, to the timber in their own eye instead of the mode in their neighbor's eye and all of the great stuff that Jesus said. Yeah. That is completely in line with what I'm talking about here, which is getting rid of the improper adrenal responses. I love that. I think I, oh, I love that. Yeah. The backfire effect is, um, I think something I'm going to like submerge myself in for a while and just swim in it because I'm just, I'm, I'm taken over by it and understanding it and thinking there, there's so much that it's going to teach me to be more self-aware, but, um, given that I have a writing platform, I'm hoping to figure out ways to articulate why more people need to embrace this and hopefully influence others. Um, I could talk to you all day, but I have children literally lining up outside my door (laughs) waiting for mommy. Um, But before we, we end this conversation, how can people connect with you, Perry? How, how would you like people to get a hold of you and, and, and follow your work? I'm just starting a new blog called whatthefutureneeds.com, and that's what the future needs with with dashes in between the words. And okay. if you go to the blog, um, you can subscribe to, for, to get email notifications. Uh, you could also follow me on Facebook, Perry Willis, Perry P E R R Y Willis W I L L I S. And uh, those are probably right now the two best ways to follow me if you want to. All right. Well, I will be sure to include the link to your blog on this episode so that all of the listeners can have access to connect with you. I hope that we can connect again and converse. I've really enjoyed this conversation, and I thank you so much for sharing your UFO wisdom with me and the listeners, Perry. Uh, Thanks for having me. I've enjoyed it very much, and I'm available to talk again anytime. All right. Here's the part of the show where I let you know how you can connect with me and support me if you're interested in. I can be found on Facebook at Danielle Kingstrom, Twitter and Instagram at DKingstrom. And for more of my written work, you can find me as a contributing writer for Patheos Progressive Christian. And I do have a Patreon page. If you're interested in financially supporting my work while also receiving excerpts from my upcoming book, Enfleshed, making monogamous relationships real, and for additional content, videos, sneak peeks into interviews that I'm working on, and all-around good stuff. 
Seek me out at patreon.com slash Danielle Kingstrom. Thank you for joining. Please make sure you subscribe and share with your friends. Take care.